Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome to the program. I am Peter Sampson, rolling with you on your Wednesday. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Got Judah Newby with me. Of course, Sean McPherson, Steve, and Vaughn as well. Great to be with you wherever you are listening to the program. And if you're like me and presumably the rest of the fellas here, you're just looking at your watch right now, maybe glancing at the clock, looking at the clock on the bottom right-hand corner of your monitor if you're stuck at work. And you're just going, is it Saturday yet? Is it Saturday yet? Yeah, I know. I know. We got college football on Thursday. We even have some on Friday this week. But we know what we want to watch. This game has been on the schedule for years. It's finally here on Saturday. Pac-12 play underway. University of Oregon traveling to Georgia in Atlanta, taking on the Bulldogs. And, of course, when this game was scheduled, we didn't realize we were going to have the additional intrigue of Dan Lanning being the head coach at Oregon, of course, former defensive coordinator at Georgia. We didn't know that Georgia was going to be coming off a national championship. This is a game that went from great to just unbelievable with the amount of hype. I did a TV hit in Atlanta on the CBS affiliate over the weekend. They wanted to talk about how Dan Lanning is doing in Oregon. How is he fitting in? And the real question that they asked me, and I thought this was interesting, and this was uh, it was kind of a unique perspective because you're talking it's SEC country, right? It's uh, Bulldog fans. It's They're used to a certain level of play. They said, why? They were real nice about it, but they said, Samson, why are you scheduling this game? I said, look, man, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Do I expect Oregon to beat the best? I do not. But I expect a spectacular, entertaining game. I expect Oregon to cover this game. But ultimately, you got to put yourself up against the best of the best. You got to go up against elite talent. And I'm excited. It's the perfect way to roll into college football season. Fellas, I can't remember an opening week that I've been this hyped for. Yeah, man, when uh, Oregon opened with Auburn in 2019, I was pretty hyped about that. But that Auburn team. till the fourth quarter. Well, yeah, till the fourth <laughs> quarter, frankly, till the final drive. Yeah. But that, that Auburn team had the Ducks' current quarterback on it, right? And Bo Nix is a QB1, is a QB2. You know, who knows? We'll see. I'd be shocked if Bo Nix doesn't start on Saturday, frankly. But this Georgia team is a different caliber than that 2019 Auburn team. Obviously, they just won the whole damn thing. They're basically playing a home game. I mean, where they won the championship last year is where they're playing this game on Saturday. But it's a great test for Oregon. But this whole season, to me, I'm not too worried about wins and losses. I, I, I think nine, the over-under, is a little rich. Uh, for me, and I think most people would actually think that nine's a fair number and might play the over there, but I just think there's going to be natural growing pains for the Ducks this year, and Saturday's probably going to be one of them, but it doesn't mean you can't be excited, and you, Georgia's got a ton of talent, but at the same time, obviously, they graduated a 
ton of talent to the NFL in the first round and the in the top three rounds. But they still got dudes. They still got Jalen Carter at defensive tackle. Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith. He's going to be a problem. Both of those two guys on Georgia's defense is going to make life difficult for Oregon. And that's kind of, I just hope Oregon doesn't get boat raced. I hope it's not 41 to 10. And I don't think it will be, but I'm still leaning Georgia uh, covering the 17 and a half at really? this point that I am the Ducks covering the number. I, I just look, I don't know that it's going to be a high scoring enough game for them to cover. Again, I certainly expect Georgia to win. If I had to guess, I, I'm probably predicting between 10 and 14 points. I just don't know that there's so, going to be a ton of offense. Stephen Vaughn was talking to me earlier today. Where's the total at right now, Stephen? Uh, it actually went down to 53. It was 53 and a half. Now it's at 53. So I think that's where money's coming to yeah, is yeah. on that under. Typically, and, as, and as we speak, sorry, Georgia just went from 17 and a half to 17. It just mm-hmm. literally flashed oh. red on my screen. Well, Phil must have gotten his bed in. <laughs> uh, moved the line. Yeah, moved the line a half point to 17. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, money, I, I'd be intrigued if it goes back up by kickoff. I, I'll be yeah. interested to see where the money goes on Saturday morning. And uh, But to 17, that's interesting. You got neutral site, you know, so generally that's a faster track when it's indoors. Neutral site, quote-unquote, obviously. But indoors, generally faster track, generally more points. But week one, first one out of the gate, and where Oregon's point total would be would probably be about 17 points as well in terms of what you're betting Oregon to score in that game. Do they get to 17? I would like to think so, but I think they're going to need one or two turnovers to do it in Georgia's in Georgia's offensive half of the field. So I think they can do it, but... Man, it's Georgia, man. That's a really good football team. I know, and, you know, you mentioned they sent, well, I think nine guys to the NFL. But the thing is, is even last year in that championship run, they played a lot of guys on that defense. It's not like it was just those 11, you know, guys and that's it. That was a deep, deep team. Yeah. They have serious, serious guys filling those spots and, that went to the NFL. And it's not hard to see, like, how athletic they, those guys are. Yeah. You know, the Keely Ringos of the world that they got playing corner. He had the game-sealing pick against mm-hmm. that. Alabama mm-hmm. last year. I mean, and Dan Landing recruited a lot of those guys, which tells you something about how Dan Landing is as a recruiter. But, you know, at, at a certain point, I don't think – and that's the other fascinating thing, and, and Landing was talking about this in his press conference earlier in the week, is how much intel he has on Georgia and the reverse effect, how much intel Kirby has on him, both schematically in, in that familiarity. But Brian McClendon, who was the receivers coach for the Ducks and was the last man to coach the Ducks in a game – yeah. In the, he was the interim head coach uh, in the Alamo Bowl. He's on Georgia's staff. <laughs> He's probably the one with the most intel and the most intimate knowledge on what the Ducks like to do offensively, even though it's a you know different scheme, but uh, in terms of the skill set of the talent on the field. So there is a ton of, uh, of coaching inbreeding going on. Uh, in this game between the Ducks and the Bulldogs that I find fascinating. Yeah, and you mentioned Dan Lanning's comments about that, and uh, he had his game one presser, and when he was asked, you know, does he have an advantage having coached at Georgia, he does mention, look, this goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, the biggest carryover is going to be, I I probably have a good feel for what they're going to do defensively and how they're going to do things defensively, and on the same note, they probably have a good feel of how we're going to do things defensively, right? So, uh, I think the the challenge of a coach is ultimately, you know, Kirby Smart's not going to play a single snap on Saturday, and neither is Dan Lanning, right? So it doesn't really matter what I know. It matters what my players know and what they can execute, right? And uh, sometimes coaches try to get too cute, right? It's going to come down to takeaways. It's going to come down to explosive plays, right? Who can out-hit? Who can out-hustle, 
right, who can tackle on the perimeter. Um, you know, that's what this game is really about. And certainly there's some going to be a schematic advantage on both sides, right, at times. Um, but that's not ultimately what it's about. It's about who can put their players in position to make plays. Yeah, so that's Dan Lanning on Monday night, sort of recognizing that, hey, look, I was there, they know me, we know them, but also at the end of the day, none of us are actually jumping out on the field and playing this game. It's about our players. And, uh, I mean, frankly, that's why Georgia's favored. They have the players. Now, I'm looking at positional matchups here. If Oregon is going to hang in this game, I'm not even going to say win, but hang in this game, what group really needs to show you something here? Who needs to stand out? I would say the receivers. I think the offensive line's going to hang tough just because of the guys that they brought, but... Oregon uh, on the outside matching up against Georgia secondary. I think there's a pretty decided advantage there. You know, and frankly, like, it it should be that way. It makes a lot of sense. So what Kenny Dillingham schemes up to try to put his receivers in the best position, I I don't know. I don't think there's a 100-yard receiver in this game. It's really for Oregon to score 20 points or more, I think a couple touchdowns are explosive plays of, like, 40 yards. Like, stuff that there's either a busted coverage somehow, which I don't really expect out of Georgia, or there's some guy one-on-one in space that is able to make a move and and make a play and take it to the house. I do not see nine-play, ten-play drives that eat up five minutes, six minutes off the clock. I don't see Oregon being able to do that. It's going to be a handful of explosive plays that either puts them on the doorstep of scoring a touchdown or scores the touchdown itself and then forcing a couple of turnovers on defense. But to me, if one position group that need like would that I need to see something from is the receivers, but as I say that I feel like that's an unfair expectation knowing the the opponent is Georgia in week 1. For me, you know, the Ducks I feel like they're two strongest position groups going into this year. It's the O-line and then it's the front seven. Uh so this game in the trenches, I don't feel like Oregon's as as, as big of a mismatch as, you know, maybe in previous years. For me, it's like Judah said, the, the receivers are concerned, especially because of the Brian McClendon. He was the receivers coach last year for Oregon, so he knows what Troy Franklin wants to do. Dante Thornton, Seven McGee, Chris Hudson, guys that are supposed to play a big role for Oregon, he knows all about those guys. So that definitely concerns me, the passing game offensively. And then I think Oregon's biggest weakness going into the season is the secondary. I trust Christian Gonzalez. I trust Bennett Williams. But other than that, I'm a little bit – uh little bit shaky on the rest of the guys that are they're going to be trotting out there so i'll be curious to see how they hold up especially against the tight ends i understand it'll be probably more linebackers you know Sewell's, justin flows your outside linebackers guarding uh brock bowers darnell washington but man their tight ends i feel like are yeah they're gonna have big days every week but uh they're gonna have big days on saturday and to that point sean i think what's really important for the ducks can they cause a turnover? Because stetson bennett is not the best quarterback i don't expect the duck off, duck offense to be very can't good. believe you said that <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not great. Seth not great. He, he's, 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 he's good. Fine. He's fine. He's good. But I don't expect the Duck offense to be able to move the ball on Georgia, like you said, Judah. And so I think the Duck defense is going to have to cause a turnover to put the Ducks in good field position if they want to get up to 20 points. They are projected to get about 17. Like, I think that's going to be that's hard so to low. do. That's low, but that's hard to do against that Georgia defense, especially with the inexperience they have on offense. We had heard you know, a lot of interceptions throws, some fumbles happened. I mean, I think the Duck defense has to play well and cause some turnovers to get in some good field position to get yeah, Georgia. That, that's why I'm looking at Justin Flo and Nuasul. One of those guys has to make a big-time play, whether it's getting out and slowing down the tight ends, whether it's uh, you know blitzing and uh, grabbing a strip sack. Something like that needs to fall the Ducks' way. Aren't tight ends one of those positions that it's just like such a pain in the ass 
when yeah. the other team has Especially a good one that you Brock can't Bowers. stop. They have three of them. They got one from LSU that was, like, really good for LSU. I don't understand the, the era of the transfer portal, how Kirby Smart was able to pull off having three elite tight ends on his team. I felt like, you know, if you're not Brock Bowers, you should not be on that team because he's the best tight end in the country. Uh, let me pose a question for you guys. I Bo Nix is obviously the favorite to start. Do you think there's any chance – they, they trot out both of them, like Kirby Smart said. Oh, you think yeah. we can see Thompson and oh, Mix? Yeah. I think that's if more likely than just that, Thompson. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's not going to be just Ty Thompson. No, no way but I hell. can see it being Nix, and then maybe Thompson gets a drive, especially if Nix throws an INT. Like, I could see them trying out both of them. No doubt, because here's the thing. Here's what Ty Thompson's future is with Oregon. Dan Lanning is already recruiting him for 2023. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the reality. I would even – I don't think this is going to happen, but – Dan Landing's approach with Ty Thompson right now is how do I keep this guy happy, engaged, and bought in enough to come, you know, not transfer somewhere else and make sure that we know that he's the guy going into next season? Or two, hey, maybe he is good enough to be, <laughs> be our guy this year. I think for the gravity of the game, the scope of the game, Bo Nix is going to start. But because of the recruiting purpose for Ty Thompson for 2023, he is absolutely going to see action in this game. I'm curious to see, is it a split half thing? Is it a Ty Thompson package thing? Is it a red zone thing? Is it an inside the 10-yard line thing? Or is it, hey, man, like Bo Nix, maybe the Oregon is just not moving the ball very much in the first half, and they say, hey, all right, Ty Thompson, you you get a shot here. Or is it structured? Like Nix is going to get the first two drives, and then Thompson comes in. Like what kind of of strategy are they going to throw at Kirby Smart to either – Keep him off balance, but also I think you got to keep in mind you got to keep Ty Thompson happy, and and one of the ways you do that is saying, hey, we're going to let you play X amount of snaps in this game against this team because big picture that the big picture is what matters in this game. Like Dan yeah. Landing is try- going to try to win, he knows damn well how hard it is going to be to win this game. So. What are the other sub-goals beneath that? I think playing Ty Thompson is chief among them. Yeah, I would imagine you would structure that. I mean, nothing against Ty Thompson, but we don't know what he can do in the red zone. I mean, that's a tough environment. Yeah, 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 neutral site. But that's really difficult to be at the 18-yard line and go, all right, here you go, we're going to hand it I, over I'm to you. I'm not done with him. I think he's still got something. I think he does, too. And frankly, in this day and age, he's been way more faithful to the program than I would have expected. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely he <laughs> I has. I thought he would have been gone by now. Yeah, but I mean, he, I think he's important to keep. I know everyone's looking ahead to Dante Moore. Yeah. There is absolutely no guarantee that dude's going to be ready next year. Not even well, remotely. Look, so remember you got when te- DJ Uyunglele? Uyunglele, yeah. Like, he was down to Oregon and Clemson. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, everybody loved this kid out of Bosco. Yeah. Goes to Clemson, you know, obviously it was the COVID year, I think his freshman year, and he lit the world on fire versus Notre Dame, but it's the COVID year. You don't, you don't, you take everything with a grain of salt. And then he struggles last year in a major, major way that not really anyone saw coming. Big point there. You just don't know exactly what you got in these five-star kids, whether or not they show up at Oregon or not, like Dante Moore. But I guess that is part of it, right? When you're talking 2023, I think you're still recruiting Ty Thompson to come back in 23, regardless if Dante Moore is your guy or not. I think now, sorry, Sean, especially in football, you kind of need that backup. And the 49ers did that with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? They they didn't want to go with Nate Sudfeld or Brock Purdy. They brought in the regular guy, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's like that in college, too, Mm. because like you said, Peter, it's like we don't know if these guys are going to be ready from day one. So you've got to have a backup plan just in case they aren't ready. And so for the Ducks, like it's hard to keep Ty Thompson there because Bo Nix can play, they got to keep Thompson there just in case Bo Nix struggles. And then Ty Thompson can come in if he struggles. They got someone else. Like 
you got to have two quarterbacks on your roster. So it's it's very important to keep him around uh, on this Ducks roster. And the part no one's talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bo Nix will have another year of eligibility next year. He was a freshman in 2019, so this will be his fourth season of college football, including the COVID year. He has another year next year. Am I wrong? I think you're right. Because that would check out. So he's another player would, in this as well. What would, if he's would, really if good If he year? wants it, you know, right. I don't know if he's ready to move on his after NFL this season. stuff to me feels a little like sixth rounder, seventh yeah. rounder ish. <laughs> if that, I mean, yeah, I think he's better than Anthony Brown, but then I just saw what Anthony Brown did in the preseason. Yeah, imagine that. And I've got all <laughs> sorts of questions for Mario Cristobal. Amen. You, you are correct, Sean. He has two years of eligibility. Yeah, so like, Including this year. Including I, this year. I guess if he plays really well this year, maybe he'll want to dash to the NFL. But there's a scenario in which he plays really well this year, and he could be the two, this could be a two-year mm-hmm. thing. A scenario he could play well, and he transfers somewhere I, else. And that's that where be, I, I guess, yeah. Back to the SEC. I, I don't think he's for Oregon for long. You know, I think maybe he goes back the to rental. Uh, yeah, maybe he goes back to Auburn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe he goes back to Auburn after Harson gets fired. I was like, I just needed to get away from Harson for a year. Man, college football's gotten wild that that's yeah. even a realistic possibility. No, it's a probability at this point. <laughs> yeah. What are you looking for in this game on Saturday? Hit us up, 503-417-7575. You can tweet at me, at Peter Sampson. We'll go away, come back on the other side. It's not the only game. Of course, Oregon State taking on Boise State. Big game for both teams. We'll kick that one around as well. Samson Danubi in for Kanzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Jude Anubi in for John Kanzano on the BFT Radio Network. We got Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson here as well. So fired up about college football. It really hit me this year. Normally, it sort of it sort of sneaks up on me. Oh, we're here. Yeah, okay, let's go. I've been looking forward to this since, oh gosh, early July. I've been ready this year. I don't know what's different. It might be the fact that uh, Oregon's taking on Georgia. It might be uh, all the question marks with the uh, Dan Landing taking over. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm extra excited this year. Of course, the Ducks, not the only team in action this weekend. On a full Saturday slate, Oregon State versus Boise State. I think Oregon State is the slight favorite in this. It was two, two and a half last I saw. Fellas, this is a big game for both teams. Not just Jonathan Smith, but Andy Avalos had a kind of a down year with Boise State. Both these teams looking to get out to a fast start. Yeah, man. It scares me a little bit for the Beavs. I've oscillated in this one. Started very optimistic that Oregon State was going to win this game. And I swung to the other way, and it just smells like a Boise State statement in the opener. Half capacity worries me a little bit that it won't be the same uh, home field advantage at Reeser Saturday night. And I could be wrong, but just all those things are in there. The fact that this is, I keep coming back, but that's three straight Mountain West opponents for Oregon State going back to the bowl game with Utah State, then this opener with Boise State next week on the road at Fresno State. You know, and those aren't easy. And if you're Jonathan Smith, like all of us give him the benefit of the doubt. But this is a big game. Yeah. And he's won some big games. He's done really well as an underdog. He's not done so well as a favorite. And a a short favorite at home, this is not typically a spot where I get really fired up about the Beavers. I'm pulling for him because this is a huge, huge game, especially the the season opener on ESPN. Um, I'm intrigued by the other kind of – narratives at play that Boise State 
is trying to maybe angle their way into the Pac-12 should expansion come their way, and they want to make sure that they, you know, they put together a good effort, even though on-field effort and on-field performance doesn't even factor into these media rights negotiations, as we're all finding out. It's just literally how big your town is, pretty much, how many eyeballs you get. But at the end of the day, I think this is a good spot for Boise State, and I'm leaning them uh, plus the three. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're leaning plus the three, you might as well play something on the money line for value, just from a betting standpoint. But I really am I'm pulling for the Beavers, and I hope they win. Yeah, the spread is at three right now, uh, juice towards Boise State, so they're minus one twenty on that. I kind of agree with Judah and uh, John had Mike Prater on from uh, talking about Boise State the other day, and he was talking about how you know they're expecting a win. Right, like that's how the fans are looking at this game. Is they need to go into Corvallis and win that game, not only just for their morale, just prefer Andy Avalos and have some confidence in him. So I said this yesterday. I said I think both fan bases are expected to win this game, and one is going to come away very disappointed. It's all. It's so fun when it's two head coaches that played for the schools. Too. Right. Yeah. And these guys coached together at Boise mm-hmm. for a bit. Jonathan Smith was there. Avalos was there as an assistant at the time. Avalos played linebacker there. Smith quarterback here. I mean. To me, that that's also exciting because in this day and age of college footballs, you know, everybody's going everywhere and, and coaches are going where they're getting paid the most, and frankly, so are players. <laughs> it's cool to have those narratives back in place where it's coaches that have organic ties to their their programs, and it's a big game for both of them. Yeah, I think you guys have touched on it. Like, it feels like the what, the fan base that loses this game is going to be pissed off. You know, uh, I think uh, you know. For Imagine work, that. Yeah. Uh, well, like, seriously, it feels like both teams feel like they should win this game it's it's a pretty even matchup and you know for Boise State it feels like you know if they lose this game and you go on and win the Mountain West so what you know you you want to take that next step as a program as a university to join the Pac-12 and the Mountain West is only you know only so much can get done in the Mountain West in my opinion so you know you want to be able to beat the one team on your Pac-12 schedule for Oregon State it feels like all the pieces are in play this year for eight maybe even nine wins you know like a lot of your best players came back from last year. Uh, Jonathan Smith, he's coming off of a big year last year in which they made a bowl game. It's time to take that next step. And if they lose this game, then they have to go to Fresno. They get a kind of a uh, quote-unquote bye against Montana State. Man, after got that, it's tough. USC at Utah at Stanford, Washington State. Like, that's four straight weeks. So you really have to get off to a good start here. Um, I, I have no feel on this game. I think it's uh, – I could see it being really close. And – uh I'm just uh, I'm super pumped to watch it. I, I can't. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the home field thing goes for the Beavers this year because that was such an asset for them last year. Who's better offensively this year? You think Beavers or Ducks? Hmm. So I want to say Beavs, given given the coaching continuity. Well, let's go through the, this. And so the high running game, but quarterback Chance Nolan or Bo Nix? <sighs> That's a toss up to probably me. Probably go Bo, but. I think the system, but first year system with a new guy. I know he's got quote unquote familiarity with Dillingham, right. but how far does that really go off of, you know, his his Auburn experience? I don't know. New pieces around him. Does he see, you know, is Ty Thompson breathing down his neck more so than Jebbia is breathing down Nolan's or Goldbrinson is breathing down Nolan's? I don't know. Jebbia, by the way, is a captain. Saw that. Yeah. He brought up the Garoppolo thing in in our opening segment, Stephen. There's it feels like a little Garoppolo y. To me here, they love him. Yeah. Tristan Jebby is loved in that locker room. He is an absolute leader. And uh, I'm curious to see if he actually gets on the field or if he is, you know, if he is able to kind of assume that leadership role while also ceding the starting job comfortably to Chance Nolan without Chance getting any, you know, 
insecurity about him. Yeah, I think there's some pressure on Chance Nolan, and and he was fine. Frankly, Chance Nolan has exceeded my expectations, you I know, too, since he yeah. started playing pretty significantly. But he, if the Beavers want to have a good season, Chance Nolan's the guy that's going to have to take that next step. I think you talk about uh, a backup breathing down the starter's neck. I think Tristan Jebbia is potentially that guy. I mean, essentially, I mean, he lost his job due to injury, man. It was the hamstring. It didn't heal. You hate to say that. I think there's still a lot of untapped talent with Jebbia. And, I mean, Nolan's going to get his shot. I mean, he's the one that led them to seven wins. He's the one that led them to the L.A. Bowl. But I think if they come out flat, and it's very possible. I mean, Boise State, Fresno State, USC, Utah, Stanford. I mean, that could be a really rough start for Oregon State. None of us hope for that. I think you might end up seeing Jebbia taking that job back. It wouldn't be be weird because, uh, you know, when Oregon State played Purdue, it was Mm. Sam Neuer started that game, remember? I was shocked how bad he was. He was terrible in the first half, then they went Chance Nolan. So who's to say if Chance Nolan has a struggle in the first half, he doesn't just pull pull the hook real quick, goes to Tristan Jebbia. That that was still shocking to me. and. We made a huge deal when uh, Neuer came free yep. and he transferred to Oregon State. And here comes the Beaverton kid. We had him on the show. Yep. And it was just like, it's written in the stars. This is, this is the stuff. 30 minutes of football into the year, one of the big season narratives is just flipped on its head. And it, what a reminder. We talk about things for months leading into the season. And you can get season-changing narratives just flipped within one half of football in, in the opener. I don't know if that's going to happen here. And again, I was I'm with you, Samson. Nolan did enough to impress me, and he is the one responsible for that seven wins. But it's it's really that run game, you know. And they they had a couple guys move on the offensive line, but still not much. At the end of the day, it's still a unit that returns a lot of talent. That was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award that Michigan ended up winning, and you know Michigan ended up going to the college football playoff. But the Beavers were a finalist. And uh, what, what they have going on with their run game is still where they butter their bread. And, and B.J. Baylor's obviously moved on, and uh, Jamar Jefferson before him. Now it's Fenwick. Now it's uh, the other cat, Damian Martinez and Trey, Trey Lowe. Lowe. Those three guys, I think they all have talent. They all have physicality about them. Martinez has impressed me even as a young guy himself, this freshman out of Texas. I'm really curious to see what his role is. Uh, Jake Levengood at center is going to be a really strong piece. Kipper at right tackle. So that relieves a lot of the pressure on the quarterback position in Chance Nolan. And on the receiver standpoint, I was looking at their roster the other day, and, Sean, I know you got it in front of you too. They're not really all that physical. Uh, not a lot of tall guys playing X receiver for the Oregon State Isn't Beavers. Gold like 5'8 or something like that? He is, Gold is yeah. 5'8, yep. He is, and he's a bit of a speedster. You'll yeah. see him get John some. Lindsay, 5'9. Yeah, you'll see him get some carries, but. You know, this is going to be an out. There's not an out and out ball winner. You know, they're going to throw in. But Musgrave here. It's Musgrave. It's the tight end 88 Musgrave that I think is in line for, like you're mentioning, Sean, a really, really big year. And and maybe that's how the Beavers get productive in the red zone and on third downs this year is Nolan to Musgrave. A lot of that. Last year, the Beavers averaged 212 yards per game rushing the ball, which was second in the Pac-12 behind Utah, which was great. You know, they were such a good rushing team last year with B.J. Baylor and that O-line. But I feel like this has got to be the year where they start becoming more of a uh, multi-purpose offense. you got to be able to air it out. The receivers on this team, I see the starters listed as Tyjon Lindsey, Anthony Gould, Trayshawn Harrison. This isn't the official depth chart. It's just a projected depth chart. But uh, 
you know, I, I think this is a team that hopefully will be able to throw it deep because you mentioned it's more speed guys at the receiver spots, but then you also have Musgrave. Um, so you have, you know, multiple different kinds of receivers and ball catchers, and the fact that we're talking about a Chance Nolan versus Tristan Jebbia uh, quarterback one battle, I think, you know, one of those guys really has to step up and be a top six Pac-12 quarterback, and I think if that happens, the Beavers will be really good this year because the run, the run game is going to be there. Frankly, to be a top six Pac-12 quarterback, you, you got to be able to make plays with your legs in college football, and you know, arguably the NFL less so, but in college football especially, and don't sleep on Nolan's mobility and his grit. You know, there's a third and six out there, and he's getting rushed. I think he has it in him to evade it and pick up a first down from time to time with his legs, and those types of plays are going to be huge in this Boise State game and all season long, as long as he doesn't get injured. But if he does, I think there's quality depth there in the quarterback room. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. What time is that kickoff on Saturday? 7.30, I think, on uh, Espen. ESPN. 7 o'clock. 7.30? 7.30. 7.30. I think the next week's also on 7.30, Fresno, another late one Mm. on CBS Sports Network. So a couple of late ones out the gate, and then Montana State games right here up the street at Providence Park, which is going to be just a fun atmosphere in general. (laughs) And that team's pretty good, Montana State. They had a fourth-round pick go to the Falcons in the draft at linebacker, and, uh, you know, they do some stuff in FCS. So can't sleep on that one either, but the Providence Park location will be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, we'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Judah Nubian for John Canzano. He is en route to Atlanta. Tomorrow and Friday, he will be bringing you the bald-faced truth from 3 to 6, live on location as we get ready for Oregon versus Georgia. So hot for college football. I do want to step away from college football for just a minute, though, uh, following the uh, pennant races in Major League Baseball. Now, fellas... Not this weekend, but next. I'm going to be up in Seattle watching the Braves-Mariners series. Got a couple oh. teams. Do I dare say that we have two teams that are going to make the playoffs in this series? Yes, we do. Unbelievable. It is 100% guaranteed that the Mariners will not F this up. <laughs> what? Never yeah. before have they screwed up a September <laughs> playoff race. The worst part, if they do mess it up, is to the Orioles. The Orioles will catch them, and the Mariners will miss because of Baltimore. And we'll be seeing Adley Rutschman in October. I mean, that I wouldn't mind sick. seeing that. But, yeah, ESPN right now has Seattle at 95% possibility with the Seattle. No percentage can be too high. <laughs> we, I need to see this thing at greater than 99.9%. What were you doing in 2001? Um, on September 2001, pennant race 2001, uh, to be honest, I was wondering if I was going to be drafted on September 11th. I was 23 and going, uh-oh, this is bad. Right. Uh, but beyond that, man, yeah, just, I don't know, hanging out. That's right. Hanging out. Yeah, September 11th, 2001 <laughs> is probably what we all remember. And baseball was put on pause for a while. Football was put on pause yeah. for a while. And uh, the last, last year that Seattle made the playoffs. Unbelievable. Longest playoff drought in North American sports. That was the year Ichiro won Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same year. 116 wins. John Olerud wearing his helmet on first base while playing in the field. Yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful time to be Brett, a Mariners Brett fan. Boone roided out of his mind. Just Dude, roided out. <laughs> roided out. Edgar was clean. 
Boone, not so Boone, much. Not, Forty yeah. plus homers, I think. Something like Unbelievable! That, Did you guys see Ichiro's induction into the Mariners Hall of Fame uh, yes. over the weekend, where he shouted at King Griffey Jr. said he was his hero? That was kind of a touching moment, wasn't it? It was hard. Like I can get emotional at these times in Ichiro's induction uh, Saturday night. It brought a tear to my eye watching that whole speech. And frankly, I had not heard him speak English that long yeah. ever, yeah. ever. You know, the Ken Burns baseball doc that I know you're a big fan yes. of, I'm a big fan of. I like to watch it from time to time just to remind myself of the fundamental romanticism that I have for the game of baseball. Yep. But Ichiro is prominently featured in the 10th inning episodes, and he's speaking Japanese with subtitles in those. But even the way that he's talking about the game of baseball in Japanese in those episodes, it's like it really hits me. And he is just the epitome of professionalism, class, talent, and skill and it's just like, man, who doesn't want to be like Ichiro? And everything that he meant to me as a kid growing up, just the the grace that he played with, the speed, and just the relentless contact on the baseball. I know, you know, Tony Gwynn was, what, a half generation before him. Yeah. But aside from Tony, I, I, I've never seen anybody be able to square up just like any pitch ever the, other than Ichiro Suzuki. So on Saturday night to see him get up in front of the T-Mobile Park crowd and just go for basically 20 minutes mm-hmm. in English – that's the dude's second lane. I know he's been here for a long time, but to go for that long in that language and he's single, he's thanking Ken Griffey Jr., he's thanking Jamie Moyer, he's thanking Dan Wilson, he's thanking Edgar, Dave Niehaus, Rick Riz, you know, any Mariner fan anywhere who's been through a lot of pain from, you know, the last 20 years or so. Um, that was such a really, really cool moment. I'm not even a diehard Mariner fan. The Cardinals are my primary team, but how could you not be moved a little bit watching that ceremony over the weekend. Yeah, it was fantastic. And Ichiro was something special. I mean, look, I you know, I watched Tony Gwynn. I watched Wade Boggs. I watched uh, George Brett, all these guys that hit for incredibly high average. Ichiro was different. It was, he was playing catch with his bat, the way just the sheer control he could put it wherever he wanted. And I remember in, oh, man, this is probably 07, maybe 08, I ran up to, a, it was Safeco at the time and caught a doubleheader against the Red Sox. And Ichiro, he had, gosh, I recall right, he went something for like seven for nine in the doubleheader, five <laughs> stolen bases. I think he threw in a walk because there was it was a high scoring game in one of them. Just absolute dominance from one o'clock to ten o'clock at night. Like, I mean, he was head and shoulders better than every other guy on the field. Peter Sampson middle school numbers right there. That's right. I mean that's I, right. I, I, but you're right. He could absolutely do it all to speak nothing of defensively. Just like that ridiculous mm. arm that he had, the, the Terrence Long highlight, you know, was burned into my, burned into everybody's <laughs> brain. You know, the the throw out of Star Wars is what Dave Niehaus called it when he when he threw out Terrence Long and the A's at third base. And there was such a mystique about him too, because there was always, you know, you'd always hear things like, oh, if he wanted to win the home run derby, he could win the home run derby. If he wanted to hit forty homers in a season, he could do that. He could pitch if he wanted to. Like right. he was that <laughs> he, he was that guy that like yeah. everyone's like, oh, he could do this. And like you said, Peter, he could do everything on the baseball field. It, it, do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I think he could probably pitch if he wanted to. I mean, he is, hard. is that what Shohei's doing now? Is what people used to mystique about kind Ichiro? Of, I think so. I think Which so. It's kind of amazing. I, I wonder Shohei. if I wonder if Ichiro could get the leverage though. You got you. It, you really helps to have height. I mean, name name a a, a pitcher. Who was under the like five ten? Yeah, yeah. Tim Lincecum Tim and who else? And his, and his arm blew Pedro. out because he didn't. Ha- yeah. How tall was your guy, Maddox? How tall was he? Six one. 
He was. Yeah, and even then he didn't. Ha- you know, it was all about control and and oh, yeah. accuracy, and it was all cerebral with him. He wasn't a big guy, but he still had some no, height. come was definitely smaller. I remember him coming out of of UW. Man, he was amazing. <laughs> Pe- Pedro was small too, as well. Do you, do you think if Ichiro came into the majors right now, he could play both sides? He could pitch and be, you know, an everyday player like Shohei Otani. I think maybe they would at least be willing to try it. The thing is, is we've all heard that Ichiro could pitch, but right. I, I've we never seen it. I haven't seen him like Best go- goofing BP around ever. Ichiro, oh, man. best forty-five foot. Lob. That's what they'd say. They're like, yeah. yeah, he could throw ninety plus. He could spot it out. <laughs> I believe the that. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think they'd give him a shot. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be something to see. But uh, I Pe- mean, Pedro's a great one. Well, he was probably five like nine. Five I think. Nine. Yeah. That dude. Oh my. God. I just saw a highlight of a uh, of uh, a game back in uh, the early two thousands. He was with the Red Sox at this point, and it was the bottom of the first inning, and he accidentally hits a member of the Angels. I don't remember who it is. Starts a brawl. The brawl ends. Pedro doesn't get ejected, and he just immediately retires the next 24 in a row. Just <laughs> missed a perfect game. There was He had already given up a hit, so yeah. there's been on first and second. Hits a dude, and it's like, I didn't mean to do it. The guy charges him. He's like, all right, all right, we good now, and then just throws a perfect game yeah. for eight innings. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit your ass down. 24 in a row. That sounds like Pedro. Still, Isn't that amazing, though? Like a guy like the, built like Randy Johnson, 6'10", 6'11", Pedro Martinez, more than a foot shorter can both have the same velo pretty much yeah and the same like nasty slider like that's that's amazing to me baseball is always amazing to me for that reason yeah that was still the probably the worst trade in baseball history that i've seen i know there have been worse ones man watching the dodgers coming off that 88 championship it's like a year or two later they have ramon martinez's younger brother who's coming up and he's supposedly even better and they trade him for uh to replace Steve Sachs, they traded him for Delino DeShields, traded him to Montreal, <laughs> and immediately Pedro just starts firing off one-hitters and averaging, you know, 12 strikeouts per nine innings, had a Hall of Fame career. Speaking of Randy and Pedro, both of them expos at one mm-hmm. point. That's true. Poor That's, Montreal. I know, man. 94 we, was the time. <laughs> I know, man. I mean, look, I'm not glad that 94, uh, that that season ended, but... That would have interrupted the long run of the Braves winning the right. National League East. And instead, it never happened that year. 95, they come back and win the World Series. So so you're going to go see them? Going to go see them next weekend. Going to catch a, a multiple games. I'm really hoping for a, like a Luis Castillo versus Max Freed. Maybe get a, a Marco Gonzalez versus Charlie Morton. I'm, I'll take anybody. Spencer Strider, of course. But I'm really hoping for one of those are primos. You, are you guys still uh, playing good ball, Atlanta? Yeah. You're at the top? Yeah, the top of the E. I know the Mets are playing good. They're they're three games behind uh, New York, but I mean the seventy nine and fifty one hanging in there. uh, Of course, they've lost three in a row. Atlanta's lost three in a row, but the Mets are on a little bit of a losing streak as well. Braves Mariners is a World Series preview. (laughs) Clearly, clearly, I hope so, man. What are the the odds on that, Stephen? You think I can pull it up? Give me a second. DraftKings that, but yeah, Seattle's Seattle's back to playing good ball too. Getting Ty France out of this, you know, he was slumping in August. Mm-hmm. His bat's coming around a little bit more so. But we're on the last day of August. Tomorrow you flip the calendar. It's September. Of course it's football, college, and the NFL. But with it comes the last month of baseball. And because of the the lockout stuff, the end of the regular season in baseball this year is actually a little bit later. It's October 5th. 
is yeah. the last day. Yeah, and if the World Series goes to seven games, it's going to be like November 3rd or November 4th this year. It's, yeah. it's a little late. I think that would be the latest it's ever been. I, it is. We've dipped into November before. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Jeter has hit November World Series yep. home runs, etc. Uh, but I don't think we've gotten to the 3rd or 4th of November. I don't believe so. Yeah. Now, now I can't find the exact parlay odds, but the Braves are 5th right now in the World Series odds at 9-1. to one. Mariners 8th. In the World Series odds, twenty-eight to one. Fifth and eighth. Fifth and eighth. Interesting. So it's, it's not too far-fetched there, Judah. I, yeah. Not at all for a team that just won it all. And you guys are, how healthy are you, Peter? Right now, I mean, Acuna didn't even play in the World Series. Pretty last healthy. Year. Ozzy Albies is coming back soon. That's oh, the yeah. big thing. Is he had broken his foot and missed a couple months. Oh, do uh, you know Marcelo Zuna, who plays for the Atlanta Braves? I am aware of him. <laughs> <laughs> Bums me out, man. In fact, I'll tell you. I every, know Zuna for the Braves. Every time he comes up to bat, I get ticked off, man. Yeah. Just get rid of that guy. And I'll tell you, I so I upgraded MLB the show from the PS4 to the PS5 version today. You know, pay the 10 bucks. And you know how when you're downloading a game, it'll download maybe a third of the way and you can quick play while it's downloading the rest. Like, like if you're grabbing Madden, it'll just give you the two Super Bowl teams from last year and you can play a quick game. Well, the Braves won it all. I was doing that today before I came in. And of course, who comes up? Marcelo Zuna. And even digitally on my screen, I'm just like, get off my TV, man. I'm, I'm over Ozuna. And I say that as a Braves fan, I'm done, man. Wave him. It's unacceptable. Wow, okay. Domestic violence and then drunk driving to be like, I am Ozuna from the Braves. Just let me go. I Man, forgot about the, the DV. That's he missed true, almost yeah. the whole year. He he missed the run last year because yeah. uh, I mean, allegedly was choking his wife in That's front right. of the police. You can't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Even karmically, I just wouldn't want that guy on my team. I'm with you. 100% with you. All right, we'll go away, come back, wrap up our number one on the other side. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby, and the Mariners on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. It's the bald-faced truth. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby. we got Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn with us as well. Kanzano's on his way to Atlanta. Maybe he's already in Atlanta, but he will be broadcasting live on location tomorrow and Friday ahead of Oregon, Georgia. You know you're not going to want to miss that. He's going to have great guests. Every angle going to be breaking that game down. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, The NBA is right around the corner. We've been talking some uh, MLB pennant races, of course, college football, NFL kicking off very shortly. But uh, the NBA, if you're a basketball fan, of course, we all know how difficult it can be to get the Blazers broadcast. But if you're like me, maybe you're a league pass guy, you like to follow some out-of-market teams, there's some good news for you. The NBA is cutting the price of league pass by 56%. That's right. It's no longer $29.99 a month or $32.99 a month, depending on your options. And I've already landed on this. And I'll be honest, when when I subscribed, I thought maybe I was just getting a promotion, like a special price for grabbing it early in the offseason. No. Everyone now, League Pass, $14.99 a month to watch all the out-of-market games. Guys, as someone who watches a lot of basketball, it's a steal. But if you're sort of a mediocre fan, maybe or, you know you would just want to watch Giannis or you want to watch LeBron, you're kind of in and out. This makes it a lot more palatable on the wallet. 
A mediocre, mediocre fan. fan. That's mid-level insulting. casual. <laughs> You're a casual. The quality That's what of call my it. fandom is mediocre. Just yours in particular. How much? Yeah, thanks. How much is it now? Nineteen ninety-nine. Fourteen ninety-nine. Fourteen ninety-nine. It's a steal for a year. Yeah. No, or, per, per not, month. Oh. Yeah. I'm mad. Can I play devil's advocate? <laughs> yeah, let me play devil's advocate because they black out the Blazer games, so right. we know we're not getting the Blazers. Right. And then you know, like the national games are usually the good ones on that night. Mm. So. It's a lot of, you know, League Pass, it's a lot of Orlando Magic at 4 p.m. And, uh, you know, how many quality basketball games? Yeah, I mean, like, so all I'm saying is that you don't get the Blazers and you don't get the national games on League Pass. And so, like, you have to, you have to kind of, you have to be a hardcore basketball fan for league basketball. Yeah, but there, look, I mean, y- y- sure, you get a lot of the Lakers and the Warriors and the Celtics on national TV, but you get at most what two games or more than two good teams or right. four good teams playing every night. I can see a lot of intrigue, even if it's the Magic, for example. Man, they they got a lot of young players. Even if it's Houston, you're talking the top draft picks, but you can get a lot of quality. Say, you know, Toronto Raptors or Brooklyn when they're on not on national TV. There's some good stuff there. Yeah, and I mean. And if you are, you know, if you're younger and you're just moving out and you want to try to get into the NBA, maybe or into a new sport, this is the perfect way to do it, right? Like, it's not too uh, not too expensive. It's pretty affordable. So, I mean, I think the NBA has a lot of good young stars, like you said, Peter. I mean, you know, Luka, Don- Luka Doncic, John Moran, all these guys, like, they're young and they're upcoming. I think it's a, it's a great deal. It's a great move by the NBA. You know, there's no downside to it. Uh, good PR for them. I can't wait. I might have to get this because I can't wait to watch Chet this year. <laughs> He's gonna be boy, so good. Boy, do I have some news for you. I'm sorry. I said, boy, do I have some bad news for you. Oh, I missed something. <laughs> oh, producers in my ear. Chet's not playing this year. <laughs> Chet's not. He got hurt at a pro am. Yeah, don't worry. Chet has. He released a statement and he vowed to Thunder fans that fans that he will be back and healthy and play nine games next year. <laughs> <laughs> Chet and Victor Wembanyama are coming for that title in 2028. Here on this Victor. What's his last name? Wembenyamba. Wembenyamba. He's going to be one of the greatest players of all time. Mm. Jeez, Sean. I hope so. <laughs> like, Look him up. Calm down. Look him up. Yeah, I, get, I get nervous about skinny seven-footers, though, man. Foot wingspan. Mm-hmm. And seven feet, 190. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Same with Chris Tapp's Porzingis. Yeah. Oh, Chris, I'm watch still in on Chris Tapp's goat status. <laughs> yeah, I watched right. those highlights. Yeah, Chris Tapp's is, is, uh, is the man. Wait a second. Did you see the Houston Rockets? Uniform unveil. I today? did. It, yeah, it looks like the Sonics, man. It's yeah. Isn't that ridiculous? Old school Seattle. I thought that Adam Silver announced that the SuperSonics were coming back. The I five rivalries here. No, it's the Houston Rockets <laughs> suiting up here, that. Man. Unbelievable. Insulting. Yeah, it looks terrible. If you haven't seen that, go find that on Twitter. With that, hour number one in the books. We'll come back on the other side. More college football, NFL, a little bit more Major League Baseball. Samson and Newbie in for Kanzano. This is the BFT on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Hour number two of the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby with you. By the way, final hour, final live hour, that is. Of course, here in the Portland area, we're bringing you Portland Timbers soccer. We'll bring you the pregame at five. If you're in Eugene, we're going to put together a fantastic best of. I've heard it. It's excellent. So if you've missed some of the great interviews that Gonzano's done over the last little bit of time, you'll get a chance to revisit that. It's very Pac-12 and Oregon, Georgia relevant. 
Speaking of Portland Timbers, our own Jude Anubi going to be doing play-by-play on that bad boy. Has anyone to- has anyone told you yet? No, this is news to me. Get ready. Oh, all right. Okay, kick off in two hours, and I do play-by-play? <laughs> there you go. All right, I can do it. You ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Timbers at Austin FC. Austin is really good this year. Uh, they're second best in the conference. They score a lot of goals. They score a lot of goals at home, so challenging for the Timbers, but hey, just beat Seattle, so let's keep that momentum going. Man, how fun was that game? I was not in the house. I was not at Providence Park, but man, I had the surround sound cranked watching it in HD on the TV. Man, the crowd represented the Timbers Army represented and not only that look <laughs> you were basically if not exactly I don't remember tied as far as points with Seattle you, you come away with the result not only do you help your playoff uh, uh, odds excuse me but you get to screw your rival in the process call it a six-point game you yeah. know, is what is what Gio calls it because you gain three and you take three from your rival that's exactly right and the way they did it you know giving up a goal early and coming back the PK that they got, mm-hmm. I think, was a little questionable. Even Timbers fans will will concede, hey, we probably got the benefit of the doubt there. But you took advantage of it. And they were the better team during the, the run of play, you know, during the game itself in that first half anyway. So you feel like it was well-earned to be tied at halftime, take the lead in the second half, and then the last 10 minutes you're kind of holding your breath. Cause Seattle I was, was chewing my nails. <laughs> starting to threaten a little bit. But, man, to, to be able to beat that team in that way, to win Cascadia Cup, which is that trophy that goes mm-hmm. to whoever does best between Portland, Vancouver, Seattle, and those you know those games against one another, it's the first time Geo has won Cascadia Cup. It's the first time we've won it since 2017, the third time overall, and you're still alive, and, and you're very much alive in the playoff race. Still a point shy of the playoff line, mm-hmm. but just six games left, man. I mean, the, the time is now. You got to put the pedal to the metal. You know, decision day is October 9th. Before you know it, you'll be looking up and it'll be playoff time. And the Timbers just got to get in it. Because once they're in it, they can beat anybody. Absolutely. Any given day. like, And that's generally the story in Major League Soccer, but especially with the Timbers. Just get them into the dance. And, and once they find a dance partner, I think they'll show off what they got come October. But they just got to get there. Yeah, so Austin FC scores a lot of goals there at home. I want to ask you, and I'll throw Sean in as well. He follows the Timbers. What do you got to do to slow down Austin? Well, they got the league leader for MVP in Sebastian Driussi. He's uh, what they call their number 10. He has uh, he scored 19 goals this year. It's the, it's the most goals in the league. He's 26 years old, Argentine. He, he's really good, man. He, I mean, technically sound and uh, creative and relentless. Like, he'll clean up dirty stuff in front of the goal mouth. He'll, he'll strike something from 25 yards out and put it on frame, too. Like, he's going to be a, a tough, tough customer to handle. Um, but... The two guys that they have outside of them, too, like Fagundes on the left side is good, and then Maxi Arruti, former Timber. Yeah. He was on the team back in 2015 when Portland won it all. He's their striker, and he's been really good this year with nine goals. At, when they play in Austin, they're going to score, man. I, I feel like it's going to be hard to keep them down to one or even two, so Portland's got to bring their attack with them as well and hope to get a 2-2 game or maybe you know a 3-2 win out of this thing. That's just my gut feeling. So Austin FC, they're second in the Western Conference. The team that's first in the Western Conference is LAFC, and they're also the best team in the league right now. On Friday night, while the Timbers were beating the Sounders, Austin FC was beating LAFC 4-1. to Wow. So that's how dynamic this team is. Yeah. The thing that, uh, you know, if you're a Timbers fan, you should be feeling you know somewhat optimistic about is that there's more urgency. Correct me if I'm wrong, Judah, but there's more urgency for the Timbers 
all-out performance every single time they go out on the field because of where they place in the standings. Versus Austin, you know, maybe they're they're kind of scaling it back a little bit um, since they're they're pretty set in that second spot right now. I have to agree. The urgency matters more for Portland than Austin at this particular time of the year. Uh, that LAFC team that Austin depanced on Friday night, they have Garrett Bale. You know, <laughs> he's one of the world's best players. That was his first start in MLS for Garrett Bale, and it did not go well. And they crushed him four four to one. Austin did so. They're not a team to be messed around with. Portland played there twice last year, lost four to one and three to one, and yet when they played Austin at Providence Park, they beat them twice: one nil earlier this year, three nil last year. So uh, it's really been a story of of wherever this game is played. It's a short history. This is only the sure. second year Austin's been here, but that's wild that they're that good in their second year. Yeah, I mean, think about that, man. I mean, they only—it's a point system in soccer, right? Similar to to uh, to hockey, but they had thirty-one points last year. Austin did. Second worst team in the West. And they have 51 points already this year. That's 20 points better than what they finished on last year. What drove that? Did they acquire someone or was it internal development? A little bit of everything. Mm. Driussi, the MVP leader this year, he didn't come until July last season. And he played well July through August through the end of the year. But then this year, and it's probably a little bit more of, of continuity as well. But then they've added some guys and, and some veterans, you know, like uh, and Ethan Finley and uh, a couple other guys. And um, I just think that it's one of those teams where they just need a little bit of time to get their feet underneath them. And frankly, they've always been good at home. Even last year, they were really good at home. But this year, they, they've been even better on the road. They have, hmm. Boston has eight road wins, which is the most in the league as well. So. Anyway, as you can tell, I've done a little bit of prep <laughs> in my five minutes uh, since I found out I was doing play-by-play for this one. But the bigger thing is is why Timbers fans should be optimistic is because Sean bet on them Friday night to yes, win. Yes, he did. And yes. got paid. Yes. So congrats on that, Sean. Thank you. Just trying, And I'm turning that money into NFL futures. So uh, the Eagles are going to win the NFC East this year. That bet was made today. Okay. What kind of value? Uh, plus 150, the same value as the Cowboys. So really? the Timbers bet turned mm. into the Philadelphia Eagles uh, winning the NFC East. So thank you, Timbers, for cashing out Sean once yes. Philly wins 10 or <laughs> yes. 11 games and this then, year. Uh, also, the Miami Dolphins are going to make the playoffs plus 180. Well, what about Miami Dolphins to win the Super Bowl? Have you placed that bet yet? I think, nah, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. You, know? you already said the they Bowl. were going to a month <laughs> ago. I said, I said they should be, they're a Super Bowl contender. No, you said they were going to win. Did I say that? And you said they were going to win next year. What? You said that they were going to three-peat and be better <laughs> okay, than the, the team news. of the 70s. This is, uh, this is not true. And Omar Wemba Mamba is going <laughs> to be the Victor Wemba Yamba. You said your team could beat up my team. Yeah. It was weird. Jeez, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. The uh, the Eagles to win the uh, the NFC East, that's good value. That's good. What, what did you get? Plus 180? 150? I, also, I think the Eagles, not that, sorry to change the topic no, to the do NFL. It. I think the Eagles can make the Super Bowl this year. Really? Go look at their roster. It's very good. They had a good offseason. Yeah, sell me on it. What? Give me the highlights well, right now. I think the NFC is wide open. Well, you guys like the Devin Packers? Allen. They cut Devin Allen. That's tough. He's still on the practice <laughs> squad, so they still oh, have that weapon. Good. When he he's got to he's got to get back into football a little bit. I think um, he's got the uh, talent. But man, uh, you know, I think if you look at the NFC, it's pretty wide open. And I really don't like the Bucks this year. I don't really like the Packers this year. Sorry, Peter, but I feel like the Rams, you know, maybe not as strong as they were last year. I completely a little bit agree. Beat up. Yeah. Um, I feel like the NFC is wide open, and the Eagles, man, like 
You look at the draft that they had. They grabbed a couple of guys from Georgia. They had a couple of other nice free agency signings, like one of the best defenses in the, the NFL this year. They also grabbed uh, A.J. Brown, so they have a wide receiver one. They already had some dudes. Um, just go look at the roster, and uh, I think you'd be pretty impressed. I think the Eagles could be a dark horse. Plus, I, I like their coach, Sirianni. Yeah, Sirianni is like his first press conference. Like it was hard not to laugh. It was so awkward, and he was so funny. <laughs> and then they went to the playoffs. I did not yeah. expect them to go to the playoffs. And if you look at what the Eagles do, running the football, it's it's very good. And Jalen Hurts has his limitations as a thrower, but that scheme has been able to utilize his ability to run the football. And then offensive lines, it's always one of the best offensive lines yeah. in football. Lane Johnson, chief among them. Their defense, though, was just so bad last year. And if you're able to get pretty good improvement on the defensive side, Jonathan Gannon is their defensive coordinator. He's a young guy. He is one of Brandon Staley's best friends. Staley is, you know, the head coach of your Rams, Samson. So they run something similar in terms of scheme. But you're right. They got N'Kobe Dean in the third round. Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis was their first rounder that they have at nose tackle. By the way, Fletcher Cox still there. They're very deep on the defensive line. They're very good on the offensive line. They added A.J. Brown, which is obviously is, is a good piece. So, And then they made the trade for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Saints, who is one of the better corners in football. So they got Gardner-Johnson, Darius Slay. Yeah. They added James Bradbury in the offseason as well. Uh, their weak spot, you could argue, is safety. But in terms of the personnel improvement, and the year-over-year improvement that you just feel schematically with that team. I, I agree. I think Philly has potential to have a high ceiling. The only thing that's in the back of my mind is just how Tampa Bay dominated them mm. in the wild card. And is there something to just – is there a scheme thing there going on? If you if you play the way that Tampa Bay does, have you found the answer for Jalen Hurts? And, you know, Jalen, he's just got to improve himself yeah. a little bit more too. He is in Because Philly's got two first-round picks next year. Like, they could easily go for a quarterback if it doesn't work Who's out. Who's their backup? Is it Minshew? Hurts. Minshew. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is one of the better backups in the league. Yeah. 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 I, oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think that's a thing you guys are kind of, kind of avoiding. You're not talking about it. Is Jalen Hurts good? Right. Yeah. That, and that's, that's the <laughs> he's question. Their question. I don't think he's that good. Right? The roster sounds great. It sounds like it could be an 11 win team. But is Jalen yeah. Hurts really going mean, to be an 11 win quarterback? Is he going to win in the playoffs? We've seen good teams like the Titans, Ryan Tannehill. They're not real contenders. I think Jalen Hurts is in that category. Can he make a tough throw when it matters? I, I'm not seeing it. They may win the division. They may make the playoffs. But Super Bowl contenders, like I, I'm not buying that at all. That's the thing. Like Jalen Hurts has never really like exceeded expectations. Like he was at Bama, he was solid, and then he got replaced by Tua, and then he went to Oklahoma, and you know he was good at Oklahoma, but not as good as some of the other guys they've had come through there the last couple of years. And then he came to the NFL, and it's been kind of you know he hasn't really impressed. So I'm not sure Jalen Hurts has ever been like a star. But I do think that he could be a formidable quarterback, and I think they have one of the best non-quarterback rosters in the NFL. Is there another team out there that we're, we're not thinking of in terms of being a deep playoff Oof. contender? You say you're not high on Green Bay. 49ers. In the NFC, you're asking mm-hmm. me? Man. So I, I, and 49ers could, like, Trey, like the Niners. it's like what the is Niners Trey Lance? It's, it's the same quarterback question, right, with right. San Francisco? Yeah. His MVP odds are, like, fourth highest in the league or something like that, like... And I could see it. You know, I could see him being a bona fide star. I was talking to Kanzano yeah. on Friday off the air, but he was all worried about San Francisco's O line. They looked <laughs> terrible in the preseason game the night before. And I like, I, I kind of get that. But I think Trey Lance is a dude. I really do. I think year two is going to be a big one for him. I think he's closer to the MVP caliber player than he is 
the the rookie that we saw last year, and I think Kyle Shanahan has it dialed up for him. Yeah, the other team that I like is Minnesota. I think Minnesota actually yeah. wins the uh, yeah. NFC North. I love Kevin, o- Kevin O'Connell. What did you just say? The NFC North. You think they win it? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I think Kevin O'Connell opens it up with Kirk Cousins. They got the they got the weapons on offense with Mike Zimmer out of there. I think he was you know he has passed his time as a head coach. They bring a new blood in here. I think uh, with the Packers going down a little bit, I think the Vikings are actually going to win that division. So I like the Vikings this year uh, even more than like the Eagles. Wow. That's reasonable, reasonable. But I, are we sleeping on Green Bay? I don't know, man. Defensive Aaron Rodgers is already pissed at his receivers. I just, I don't know. I've heard that before. Yeah. It keeps on taking him to the NFC title game. So my, my dad's a big Packers fan. Like he's from oh. that area. <laughs> he uh I asked him about the receivers, Alan Lazard. He's the number one number one receiver. I go, Yeah, what's he good at? He goes, He's a really good blocker. Blocker. That's a problem. And, and that, Which is true. Problem. But that's a problem. When your number one receiver is known for blocking, I think that's a problem when you got Aaron Rodgers who wants to air it out to everybody. Who is he trust on that team besides Randall Cobb to throw to? I think and we saw in the playoff game against the Niners, he trusted Devontae Adams and that was Aaron it. Jones. That he was looked, it. He looked mm-hmm. away from everybody else. That was a is big he problem. Going to and he like he got paid. Is there a complacency thing with Aaron Rodgers? You know, like he got paid, he got his bag this offseason. I don't you know, does he still want it? I don't know about the Packers this year. My sleeper team, not to make a deep run, but to maybe make the playoffs, a team that no one thinks is going to be good. The Seahawks. <laughs> the Geno Smith, baby. The Thank Carolina you. Panthers. The Carolina Panthers, I oh, think. I'm wow. with you. Yeah, I'm I actually see. with I like you. The Carolina I'm going to have to Panthers. drink my coffee again, my iced coffee after that hot take. I'm yeah. telling you, Baker Mayfield is going to shock yeah. some people I, uh, and be decent. Think about what you're saying. Speaking of bets, about speaking what of bet, you're I actually made a bet. It was uh, a part of it. Was Panthers make the playoffs. Christian McCaffrey over 600 receiving yards. 14 to 1. Wow. And that's the key. McCaffrey has to be healthy. receiving yards and make the playoffs. Yep. That's a hell of a bet. Thank you. Yeah, I Especially like with it. seven teams making. But Samson just said Baker Mayfield is going to shock the world and be decent. Yes. He's motivated. Hell of a quote. He's uh, that's my professional goal myself. We <laughs> shocking the world and being decent. The that's Browns are terrible. The Browns are a terrible organization. He led the Browns to the playoffs. Yeah. I understand that. I'm hey. not even a big Baker guy, but he led the Cleveland Browns to the NFL playoffs yeah, and won a playoff shoulder game. last year. And, and he won not... a game in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Like that is incredible that he did that. Yeah. They just they just didn't want him. They killed Pittsburgh without their head coach in the building. Stefanski had COVID that That's game. right. They were a drive away from going to the AFC Championship yeah. game. Yeah. So why could they not Mahomes do it out, To be right? fair, yeah, Mahomes had a concussion that game. But, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> in the fourth quarter he right. did, but he played for, you know, the, the first, you know, two and a half quarters before Chad Henney saved him. But that, I do agree with you. I think the, the stock on Baker is, you know, or the perception on Baker has swung too far the negative way. He did play hurt last year. Yeah. And, and it, it was hard for his perception, but – he, you know, he was a tough guy. So if he's able to stay healthy, which is a big if, but if he can, then I, I think there's something there with your Carolina take. And sure. Because look, one of one of the issues with Baker, it's the maturity, the attitude. But I think that's going to serve him well this year. He's got a huge chip on his shoulder. It's the last year of his deal. He's trying to show he belongs in the league. I think. And again, I mean, he's not an absolute monster. He's not going to put up, you know, these crazy numbers. He's going to be solid for them. Do you guys remember a couple of drafts ago that the Panthers drafted all defensive players? I think it was the 2020 draft. They drafted like nine defensive players. And so they're going to have a really good defense. Like they, they've had a lot of good picks. J.C. Horn and Gross Matos and um, Jeremy Chint. They have a lot of guys that they've drafted over the last couple of years that have hit. And they have a lot of depth in the defense. And I think, uh, you know, if Baker 
is is good. He's what people, you know, we're talking about here, the upside with him. And if Christian McCaffrey's healthy, I like Matt Rule as a head coach. I could see this team, you know, shocking some people. Also, I don't think that division's that great. Uh, you know, the Saints and the Falcons and the Buccaneers. So I could see the Panthers being asleep. What odds did you get on that bet? Oh, I haven't I haven't touched uh, any Panthers stuff yet. I'm just saying, like, oh, okay. Judah asked for a sleeper team. Oh, yeah. Not to make a deep run, but I do think that's, just a, to that's make a surprise it. team this year. Yeah, I would say the Saints. The Saints? I think people, Jameis, mm-hmm. are, you know, Sean, Sean Payton's out. Obviously, it's Jameis' team. Why would you be excited about them? <laughs> Except they're really freaking good on defense. Yeah. Each and Camara, every year. Obviously, they just traded Gardner Johnson. I yeah. get it. But they're, they're still going to be really good. And Dennis Allen, you know, he's not exactly a proven Great head coach, but he knows what he's doing defensively, and I think Jameis is better than what people are giving him credit for. And don't forget, Michael Thomas is still there. Yeah, and now he's a he's, question mark. He, he's, you I know, like li- Chris Olave, though. I think he got banged up at the training camp. Shocker. But um, And Kamara, I don't know. Kamara's got a legal thing going on, too, but he hasn't been disciplined yet, so I don't know if he's going to miss any time. But New Orleans is still one of those teams I got my eye on, too, because I think they got some. I think him. that Olave-Winston connection might be really nice this year. <laughs> I can't. Sounds weird to I say. just love August 31st quotes. <laughs> Baker Mayfield's going to shock the world and be decent. And I can't wait for that Olave-Winston connection this year. Dude, hey, I am ready. Look. I look, am ready. It's like his coach said he about being prepared. He said, what did he say? He said to be prepared. <laughs> Jameis Winston is the funniest man in the NFL. Without a doubt. Without Eat that a w. doubt. Eat that W. He's, he's going to produce some memes this year. Oh, man, he does every I'd be disappointed year. if he doesn't. Yeah. That's what I'm relying on for. Oh, man. So ready for the NFL. I know we're all focused on college football, but, man, NFL right behind it. Week from tomorrow. Unbelievable. Snuck up on us. I'm ready for it. All right, let's get out. We'll come back on the other side. I do want to switch back to college football. A lot more news going on. Peter Sampson, Judah Nubian for John Cazzano. This is the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Jude Anubi with you. JC will be back tomorrow from Atlanta. We've got Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson along for the ride as well. Taking you to Timbers pregame at 5 o'clock here in Portland. If you're in the Eugene area, you will have a best of for hour three. We've put together a great hour of the bald face truth for you. Now, the Big 12 Conference is reportedly accelerating its exclusive media rights negotiating window with ESPN and Fox. They put out a release that said they would be entering into discussions with its multimedia partners to explore that accelerated extension of the current agreement. So it's going to test the market about 18 months earlier than expected. And, uh, of course, the Pac-12 went early to its 30-day negotiating window after USC and UCLA announced they were headed to the Big Ten. So now you have the Big 12 crowding the market. you got to assume they don't want to be left behind. And the networks have to love this, guys. You get Pac-12 versus the Big 12. They get to kind of negotiate simultaneously with both conferences and possibly leverage them against each other. That's uh, the point Kanzano was making. I saw in his column today, and it's a weird thing, man. Yeah. Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network president, he's been on with JC a whole bunch during this, which and he's been a great resource, and he has a Twitter account that's been good to follow as well. But it should be noted. So, you know, we're talking about these negotiations. The Pac-12 
went into their 30-day exclusive window for media rights negotiations. The Big 12 is not doing that. What the Big 12 is doing is just talking. We're just, we're <laughs> we're just, just talking, We're just man. talking, man. That's all we're doing. And Bob Thompson made the point on Twitter. He's like, this happens all the time. That just talking happens all the time. What doesn't happen all the time is a press release announcing that you're just talking. <laughs> you're not actually entering into any exclusive 30-day window. That's not what's going on. They haven't done that yet. They're just talking right now. But a press release to say that we're just talking, Bob Thompson notes, I think accurately, it's a message directed at somebody. And I think in this case directed at the Pac-12 saying, hey, we're coming after you too. And uh, so ESPN and Fox, I'm sure they love this, but it, that is a difference. Like, I don't know what had, what came out of the Pac-12 exclu- exclusive window mm-hmm. that I believe expired the first week of August. Like, it was the first week of July to the first week of August, and we haven't had any hard news on it yet. I thought we were going to get it maybe just after Labor Day, I think is what George had mentioned. But now here we are a week away from Labor Day, and now here comes Brett with his Big 12. And he's like, hey, here, let's do a press release saying that we're just talking with the networks as well. This is a big, big perception, big PR play, but they are not actually in the exclusive negotiation window that the Pac-12 has already gone in and come out of. I don't know really what that means, but that's been the difference between the two. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like they're just bragging that they're getting to talk. Like, it reminds yeah. me of Superbad when McLovin talks to that girl that he likes, and then they talk about it later, and he's like, yeah, I told her what time it was. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what it reminds me of. Like, 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 he acts like he was such a big flirt that he was flirting with her, but it was nothing. He literally was nervous and walked away. It sounds like that's what the Big 12 is doing, right? Like, they're just talking about normal things that happen all the time, but they're putting it out there like, you know, this is a really big deal. Let's, let's, we're really we're, we're really flirting with ESPN and Fox right now. This, this Brett Yormark guy, he feels a little slimy to me. Feels a little slimy. I don't trust anybody anymore. Sure. But Frank, after what Kevin Warren and the Big Ten did, I think I put on Twitter, like, in late June, did George Klyovkov and Brett Yormark just become best, best friends? <laughs> And now it's like, no, they, they were worst enemies from the get-go <laughs> because ever since that happened, all Brett has done with the Big 12 is try to poach Pac-12 teams. Like, he yeah. has been on the aggressive. And you heard George Klyovkov with Kanzano at Media Day down in L.A. He's like, every time we get these, um, these, these messages from Big 12 institutions or anybody from the Big 12 to our Pac-12 presidents and chancellors, they just forward them to me. And I get to read all of them. And he's like, it's shocking how brazen some of these Big 12 people are saying, hey, come come join our conference. And it sounds like the Pac-12 has done a really good job staying unified, and mm-hmm. no one is, is looking to leave for the Big 12. And it kind of makes sense. I don't really think the Big 12's got anything to offer that's objectively better than even the Pac-10 would have sons USC and UCLA. So well, that tells you something about the Big 12. They, they, yeah, with Oklahoma, Texas, Levy, like what do yeah. they really have? And, and I think Big 12 fans have got to wrap their minds around that. It's like their conference ain't so good either. In fact, I think right now, and maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I don't think a whole, very much so. I, I think still a Pac-10 without USC and UCLA with its current members and the potential to expand is still a better future in the immediacy and I think in the long term than whatever questions surround the Big 12. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think that's crazy. In terms of what? In terms of, like, the football field or in terms of, like, media markets? How would you compare that? I would say probably both, but, you know, 
you still got to make the playoff at the end of the day. And Oregon's role, you can't, and this is not just a local thing, but the Ducks' role in this is everything. It's yeah. everything. I mean, if they go to the Big Ten, then oh, the Big, Big 12 is better than the Pac-10 at that point. And But if they stay here and the Pac-10 can kind of rally around the Ducks and, and their other big brands here and not have anybody go to the Big Ten in that scenario and then expand and add a couple more squads, then I just think they I think they further separate themselves from the Big 12. But Gonzalo's pointed out, I mean, the two conferences are pretty darn comparable, Pac-12 and Big 12 at this point. But I think, it, I think for a network, and maybe it's just geography, because as he's pointed out with ESPN and other people, like they need these late, late windows. Right. And it's a little too late for the taste of Oklahoma's and Texas's of the world, those states I'm talking about. But... It's obviously the seven seven thirty windows that are still coveted by those networks. Is that's what we play our worst football, but we play at that time. It's like a quantity versus quality thing if you're comparing the Pac twelve and the Big twelve because the Big twelve is obviously welcoming in four new schools pretty soon here, but none of them are major media markets. And to me, like, who's their biggest threat besides Oklahoma and Texas who are leaving to make the playoff? Like, and is their biggest threat who's probably Baylor? Do we agree? It's yeah, Baylor. Ba- I mean yeah, Baylor. Oklahoma so. State. Oklahoma State, like yeah, Oregon and Utah probably have better. They're probably better programs than Baylor and Oklahoma State. Maybe. Are you talking about just overall, just like or this to year? The playoff, yeah, you know, like so Baylor's the number one in the Big Twelve. Like they added a lot, and they're going to have a lot of schools, but none of them are like amazing media markets. Like you know, St- Stanford and Cal are. Is Houston or, going to the Big Twelve? Houston's going to the Big That's Twelve. That's a major media market. Yes, but. And you Salt Lake like, City, you know, they're adding U- BYU, so it's decent. Like Cincinnati's yeah. a decent UCF. Is gonna get you, but like the Pac-12 still, Pac-12 still has Salt Lake City. It has Seattle. Yeah. It has uh, Portland. It has um, the Bay. The Bay Area, which is huge. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of but like they, a quantity versus quality thing. Water. They've got Stillwater. They've got Stillwater. We, we they've that. got Fort Worth. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah I, I I think the Pac-12 is still a more attractive scenario. A situation to be in if you're at school. I think I can't wait until we're not talking about this anymore. You know and like, we have it's like, to. It's news, but we, we do. And there's a certain element of fatigue. But you ask anybody that does like digital content, mm-hmm. the most traffic they get, and it's not close, is realignment content. Oh yeah. Who's going where? Kazano would probably Kizano, tell you Kizano that. Kazano absolutely. Any would. guys at the Athletic or ESPN, Thamel, Mandel, Feldman, they'd say. The stuff they write about regarding conference realignment is still the highest trafficked stuff that they put out there digitally. Which Did, I find, uh, I mean, like like weird. you, I, I'm I'm at the point where I I want some resolution. Yeah. But the unknown is so tantalizing to people. It is. Did Did we see? I want to shift gears ever so slightly, very quickly. I know we got just a couple minutes left in this segment. See, Brett McMurphy, uh, uh, he had it that the play the football playoff board of managers uh, could adopt the 12 team playoff for the final two years. Of the current contract, that'd be 2024 and 25. Of course, you remember last year, the 12-team format was recommended by the working group. Quick thoughts on that. Yeah, it has to be unanimously voted uh, in. So if it's unanimously voted in, it's the 12-team. I mean, I kind of, I don't mind the 14. I like the, you know, exclusivity that it has. It will, you know, ruin the regular season just slightly already. But, you know, I know that it'll provide better games. And as a better, I would love to bet on all 12 you know, if there's 12 teams in the mm-hmm. playoff, I love better those games. So uh, I don't really care either way, but I kind of do like the exclusivity of the of the event. I feel like 12 team just to give more teams hope. You know, we always compare college football to like NFL or NBA. Like with the four team right now, you don't have a chance to be the Bengals. You don't have a chance to be, 
you know, like that sleeper team, the Mavericks from this past year that made a deep run. You know what I mean? So it only invites the best of the best, the one loss or the undefeated teams. If you go 12 team, you give you give so many other teams hope. Like imagine Oregon going into this season. Your goal is to make the playoff. Now, right now it's not to make the playoff, right? Right now it's to, you know, make the Pac-12 championship, hopefully win it, maybe make the Rose Bowl. That's probably a reasonable goal for Oregon. If it's 12 team, and this is the case for a lot of other schools, I'd say UCLA, USC, they'd be gunning for the playoff as well in this scenario. It just, it, it, there's a lot more hope involved in a 12 team, and I think there's a lot more parity too. The difference, though, is between team one and team 12 in college football is so big. Yes. I mean, think about the Oregon-Georgia line. It's 17. Yeah, Ohio State plays Notre Dame. Notre Dame is, what, five in the fifth. next? Fourth, yeah, fifth. There's 17-point favorites. Or uh, uh, Ohio State is who's number two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Two to five, that's, 17 points. So even like, one versus that, four is a big gap. And, like, that's, the, and that's the thing. So it's like you got, you could say someone can make a big run, but when Alabama faces the number 12 team, it's going to be a 25-point spread, and they're going to win by 30. That is the thing about college football is I don't think you will get a Cincinnati Bengals. Mm. You know, That's why the NFL is the NFL. It's because of the, the parity. parity and the whole structure of it allows for that to happen that being said do you still want to see those guys have a chance yes to get killed by 28 points <laughs> right i mean wasn't the thing when oregon had two losses in 2019 this close from the playoffs this close who ended up being would four? Have made it that year oklahoma oklahoma played joe burrow and lsu embarrassing right hard to imagine that the ducks would have been yeah. you know, maybe they would have been better but they beat jack Cohn by one point because the, their punter dropped the ball and Brady Priest scored. That, so, you know, we had Marcus Royal calling plays. You, right. you think we would have hung <laughs> with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Joe Burrow? I, I think no. I would have wanted to see it, though. I would have. <laughs> I mean, would I have wanted to see that's, it? You just said I'm, Marcus Royal. That's I'm like, what man, I'm dude. saying, man. Like, do you really want to see it? Now, there's a financial component. Do you yeah. get more money by simply making the playoff for your university, for your conference? Probably. I can get on board with that. But just, you know, just let us get it. I brought it up with the Timbers earlier. All they need is a chance in the playoffs, yeah. and who knows what could happen. Your Cincinnati Bengals point is warranted. It's just the structure of college football doesn't really allow that to happen. The other side of that argument quickly, though, is what George Klyovkov's brought up before, is that the current four-team playoff structure is a self-fulfilling prophecy. What he means by that is that it's easy for Alabama and Ohio State to recruit top talent when they say, we make the playoff every year. Those guys, look, they, they, they want good situations, but they want to go to the playoff. Top recruits will go there because of the playoff consistency. If you expand that to eight teams or to 12 teams, now you've got a little bit more of a chance if you're Dan Lanning or if you're another school in the past, if you're Kyle Whittingham to be, hey, we have a legitimate shot to make the playoff. Maybe that lands you an extra five-star, a couple extra four-stars, and therefore when you meet the field with the one-seed Bamas, with the two-seed Ohio States, Maybe it is a little bit closer in that regard. I could see it cutting both ways. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. I'll be keeping an eye on this. All right, we'll go away, come back. More sports talk on the other side. It's a party here. We'll keep it going. It's the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby, Sean McPherson, and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. He will be live Thursday and Friday from Atlanta, 3 to 6 p.m. as we uh, lead up to Oregon versus Georgia on Saturday afternoon. Of course, if you're in the Portland area, 
We've got about 15, 20 minutes left in the show before we take you to Portland Timbers pregame at 6 o'clock. That leads into Timbers versus Austin FC at 6 p.m. If you're in the Eugene area, you'll be hearing a best of for our number three. And uh, I've heard it. It's fantastic. It's some of the best interviews and content over the uh, recent history of the show. Very Pac-12, very Oregon heavy. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, I will not be watching Timbers FC. I've got a uh, Timbers versus Austin FC. I've got a reservation. Did you guys know that it is National Outdoor Dining Day today? And every day is national something, right? It's, I, and I think it's just an excuse to to advertise. Oh, it's National Donut Day. Go get a donut. It's National Hot Dog Day. It's National Whatever Day. Well, it's Outdoor Dining Day. Of course, it was the French who popularized dining al fresco. The Germans took it to the next level with outdoor beer gardens, and then it became popular in the U.S. Fellas, I enjoy eating out uh, on a patio. Portland's got a lot of great outdoor places. Do you guys get down that way, or do you need to be inside? Uh, I kind of prefer to be inside, to be honest, uh, when I'm eating. Now, I like to be outside when I'm doing random things. I like to be out by the pool. But when I'm eating, I like to be inside in the air conditioning. You know, I like to be cool. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a sweater. I sweat a lot, so uh, when I'm outside and it's nice out, I don't like to be sweating when I'm eating. Yeah, I sweat you know, a lot. And then I get the, uh, and I get the meat sweats too. You <laughs> yeah. know? So it's double sweat. This is not my thing. So I'm more of an inside guy. Yeah, no, I think you're making a good decision here, Peter, because you think about it in Portland. There's probably probably get five months of good weather. Yeah. And that's winding down. We're on the clock here. It's August 31st, and I think September will bring good weather, and then October is where it kind of flips. So I think, you know, now's a good time to uh, take the misses out and, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, and get some outdoor dining. That's, that's what, a great call. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Now, I'm, I'm sort of with Steven where I can't do it in the extreme heat. And I know it's hot today, man, but a lot of the places, they're smart. They'll get that tarp. And maybe they'll even have the fans. And, of course, they have the heaters so they mm-hmm. can do it year-round. I'm not going to break out and do it in February. But if you can be in a shaded area, get a nice ambiance going, I always prefer it outside well, the summer. Well, so, so important during COVID, right? You know, there was, oh, yeah. uh, it, it got super uh, super innovative during COVID. Every place had to sit people outside. And then they got the heaters going. They got the fans going for all uh, all times of the year. So I think, you know, outdoor dining certainly gotten better. And I actually, I, I'm going to say I, am, I prefer outdoor dining. You know, you get a little breeze if the weather's good, of course, but uh, it's kind of nice to just be out there and, uh, you know, rather than being indoors. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is you don't necessarily ha- just have to do it at a restaurant. You can have a picnic. I get down with a fine picnic. You can just go out on your back deck, your patio. That's something we do. You know, it's shaded. The sun, you know, comes down on the west side. We're kind of in the uh, the uh, southeast side there. And we have the nice patio furniture out there, the nice uh, outdoor set. Well, sometimes we'll just pop out there and have some dinner. It's the way to do it. I highly recommended if you don't get outside find a nice shaded spot and uh enjoy your dinner out there this week uh unless you're in chicago i saw this uh apparently chicago is going crazy with mosquitoes this year i don't know if you guys saw this uh but uh it's expected to be uh visited by quote severe levels of mosquitoes on the Saturday and Sunday specifically leading up to Labor Day. Uh most of the city suburbs uh both have the higher very high ratings. I'm not sure exactly what's causing that, but look, a lot of insects are nuisances. I like to eat outside. You're I'm dealing with all those. Is there anything that's worse than a mosquito when it comes to hanging out outside? No, just bugs in general. 
are, I'm with I'm with you. Mosquitoes are terrible, but bugs in general are bad. Like my kids, you know, they'll they'll go outside and they play by themselves and they just forget to shut the door. Ugh. And now it's like bugs get in the house and it just drives me nuts. So a mosquito, yeah, because then they actually bite you and then it affects your day not only for that day but the day after. So yeah, I mean, there is nothing worse than like a mosquito just bothering you in your food because you know you can't focus on the meal or the ambiance like you said. It's all about the bug, man. The real issue, man, is if one gets in the house, it's when you're sleeping, mm-hmm. middle of the mm-hmm. night, it's cool, it's you're you're drifting away, you're having a dream, whatever you're doing, and you just hear that by your ear, you kind of hit your head, and go back to sleep, you're coming in your ear again, you just know you're going to wake up itching like crazy. That is the worst. If that happens, I have to fire on all the lights. I'm up. I might as well make a cup of coffee, even if it's one in the morning, because I'm not stopping until I get that thing under some newspaper. For me, what's worse than a mosquito while you're outside eating is I have severe grass pollen allergies. Oh, yeah. And so in April, June, May... Around that time of the year, especially when I lived in Eugene, man, if you're listening in Eugene right now and you have grass allergies, like you, you know what I'm talking about. Eugene has some of the worst grass allergies in the entire world. So there's been times where I eat outside or I'm doing something in the grass and man, I'm just suffering. Like I need to go inside. It's, uh, it's, it's really bad. The eyes get itchy. You start sneezing like crazy. It's just, uh, there's not much worse in this world than having an allergy attack. That's weird. I thought they liked grass down in Eugene. Well, there's so much grass that hey, uh, there's so much grass that in uh, they call it the grass capital of the world. Interesting, in Eugene. So yeah, there's so much grass that in May, I think May is the big month where just if you have allergies, you're gonna suffer. I guess I've heard it called the grass capital of the world. I just thought that meant something else. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Know. No, I, I, fortunately, I don't suffer from that. But I heard it was really bad this year from a lot of friends who it's suffer. I heard it was very bad this it's year. Always bad. I have photos in my phone of me, like speaking of grass, like it looks like I am, you know, like my Baked eyes. Out of your yes, mind. my eyes are red. They're bloodshot. And it's just because I'm rubbing them so much because they're so itchy. I have some photos of uh, post allergy attack, and it was always in you. Eugene. Like they're they're bad in Portland, but man, allergies are awful in Eugene in the spring. Do you take like a daily Claritin yeah, or something and it's like so that? Expensive. You know, yeah. it's an it's an expensive uh you know thing you have to treat for sure. Like you take the flonase, goes up your nose. I can't do eye drops on my own. I have very sensitive eyes. Need us to hold you down. Yeah, and I get need them. someone to hold and then I'm blinking the whole time. So it's just an awful time of the year, really. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I learned something new because I've heard that Eugene was called the grass capital. I'm not kidding. I certainly thought that meant something else. So, yeah, maybe uh, take a Claritin if you're going to enjoy National Outdoor Dining Day down in Eugene. All right, we'll go away, come back, wrap things up on the other side. A little bit more NFL to get to. Of course, Kanzano going to be back tomorrow. He's going to be live from Atlanta. Can't wait to see what guests he gets. It's almost here, Oregon versus Georgia. And we didn't forget you, Beavers fan. I am hyped for Oregon State-Boise State. That's going to be a close game. It's going to be a good game. You've got two teams with something to prove and two teams that need to get off to good starts. It's feasible. I don't think it's likely, but it's feasible. If Oregon falls to Boise State, they could be 1-5, in five, man. It's very, very possible. They have got to get this win. With the lead-up to it starts tomorrow, JC live from Atlanta. We'll be back for one final live segment here in Portland. Of course, you do have a best-up for Hour 3 in Eugene. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. 
back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Judah Newby in for John Canzano, Bald Face Truth. If you're in Eugene, you're getting a best of for our number three. Enjoy that. I'm familiar with what will be airing. It is excellent. If you're here in Portland, you're just five minutes away from Portland Timbers pregame. They're taking on Austin FC. Timbers right below the cut line and uh, fighting to make the playoffs. It's going to be a tough matchup for them. Austin FC scoring goals like crazy. They're on the road. They are in Texas. Looking forward to uh, seeing the result of that match. Of course, uh... A lot of players subject to the final cuts uh, as we approach the NFL season. You know, it's not often you see a team giving up on a first rounder after just one year, uh, unless you're the Raiders, that is. So today they cut Alex Leatherwood, offensive lineman, who was drafted 17th overall just last year. He started all 17 games last season, but man, Raider fan hated this dude, and he was rated one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL by pro football focus. I watched him. He was terrible. And you go, yeah, you know, not everything works out, Samson. Sometimes you swing and you miss. They drafted for need and it just didn't work out. Even then, man, cutting him after one year shows you're sure of his future. But that's not all. Lighting first round picks on fire It's something of a habit for the Raiders. Leatherwood is the third first-rounder since 2020 to fail to last two full seasons with them. Wide receiver Henry Ruggs, corner Damon Arnett also failed the last two seasons with the team. Guys, why were the Raiders so bad at drafting during the John Gruden, Mike Mayock area? Yeah, you know what's super ironic is that Mike Mayock, they brought him, he was an NFL draft analyst. Yeah. he That was his thing, the draft, you know, like, and he was going to get help in the other parts of being their GM, but the draft was his thing. You know, that's like if the Blazers hired Mike Schmitz as their GM, and then they just they were awful at, uh, you know, drafting talent. Wait, are I, you forewarning us right now? What? You think we're going to be bad at drafting talent? Now depends on what Shane Sharp like, does. Let's, let's just pretend that Mike Schmitz was, like, the GM instead of Cronin, and, like, just like Mike Mayock is for the Raiders, and that, like, they couldn't draft anyone. Well, it sounds like it wasn't Schmitz on Sharp. That's yes. The, that's his guy. That's right. his guy. So we'll have an answer shortly. Yeah. But or yeah, we I already just, have an answer. You know, when you when you bring in Mike Mayock, who's literally a draft guy, and they've failed this this miserably, and like I don't know, I I get it with like Leatherwood and some of the other failures that they've had. Can you really blame the Raiders for some of the um you know the more criminal uh, failures the stuff? Yeah, can, you know, you know, like he's obviously a good there? player, but that got away from him. Right. The one that I don't get is Cleveland Farrell. That was awful. D lineman Clemson. Yeah. Those top five can't play. Yeah. Not a good player. Not a good football player in the NFL, turns out. Same with Leatherwood. And that was another Mayock swing. That is weird. I mean, but that goes to tell you, right, Daniel Jeremiah, all these guys that we kind of hail as, wow, they know so much about all these prospects. It's a different gig when you're the one in the chair making the selections. Your scouting department has a lot to say, right? So now that Josh McDaniels is there, I'm actually not too surprised the Leatherwood cut only because yeah, proof of performance wasn't there, so but it's bad. also a regime change. And mm-hmm. when there's a regime change, there's going to be some changes. Um, 
with, you know, Josh McDaniels probably wants more of, quote-unquote, his guys. And we'll see. It's going to be hard for the Raiders to do worse than they've done the last few years with their first-round picks. It's, they're still a good team this year, which, isn't that weird? Yep. Like, how, how are they still good? You know, the fact that they've <laughs> missed it. Like, it shows fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds are super important in the NFL, too, because they've missed on all these picks, and yet Darren they're Waller still... Darren Waller was a waiver pickup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. Derek Carr was not a first-round pick. He was a second-round pick. So, yeah, it's crazy how they're still probably a top 15, maybe even top 10 team in the league. Yeah, it's gonna that division, man. It's it's like how the NFC West was a couple years ago. That division, I mean, the, the Raiders. We played the game trying to slot those those teams. I mean, who Denver's fin- fourth. Denver's fourth. Well, I they, know why they you don't fin- have a quarterback. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. I mean, Denver, That's the right. Chiefs, the Raiders. It's it's gonna be so tough to slot those teams. But uh, Raider fan, hoping for some more success in the top of the draft. It's still. I mean, and again, as someone who very actively heard Raider fans screaming about Leatherwood all last year. To be honest, I'm still surprised. Is Wesley a Raider fan? No, it's just they're so loud on social media. Oh, Wesley's okay. a Rams fan. He's inherited my teams. I've uh, I forced it into him. Maybe when he uh, approaches uh, the uh, age of uh, becoming a man, he can pick his own team. But until <laughs> then, he is a Rams fan. With that, we uh. are out of time. Best of for Hour 3 in Eugene. If you're here in Portland, keep it right here. We've got Timbers pregame in just seconds. They're taking on Austin FC. For Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, and Sean McPherson, see ya.